It is great to be with you this morning. Um, as I was preparing for this uh, talk this morning and reflecting on the 16 years I've been on staff and I've uh, been a pastor here at Lincoln Brian Church, there's been so many great things. Most of those years were on the directional team, served with Brian Clark and Mark Kramer and Jeff Peterson, and we got to see God do so many things. It was amazing. But one of my favorite things has been a surprise. It's been to be able to be here with you and to walk through some of these great, amazing stories of the Bible. And this morning, we're going to take a look at the prophet Elijah and the the last stage of his leadership journey in life and the many things that were piling up that uh, nearly blocked him from taking the next steps he needed to take as God was directing him and to finish his life and leadership journey well. A few weeks ago, I was in Crested Butte, Colorado. That's my favorite place in the country. I worked in that area after high school, and, and I got to go back, and I've been going back ever since with family and friends to hike and buy, mountain bike and just soak in the beauty of that place in southwest Colorado. Uh, but when I was there this last time, I was reminded of this lifelong goal that I have yet to do. Hike this trail that goes outside of Crested Butte and ends up in Aspen, Colorado. 17 miles, goes over two mountain passes. And there's been a lot of reasons why I just have not been able to pull that off. But my excuse over the last few years has been life's just gotten busy. Several years into this, this journey of being a pastor here at Lincoln Brian, I was able to start a new organization, a new ministry, Harbor Ministries. Uh, and it has been an incredible ride. Harbor Ministries' mission is to come alongside strategic leaders, help them live with life-changing kind of rhythm, leave a legacy in those they influence and finish well in their faith. And there's three primary leadership venues under Harvard Ministry. Rhythm in 20 is a three-event, three-year journey for young men, mid-20s to mid-30s. Rogue, a two-event, two-year journey for guys upper 30s and up. And most recently, we launched Revel, a two-event, one-year journey for women, leaders and influencers here and around the country. Uh, it's been an incredible ride, but one of the guys that came into one of our early leadership groups was D.J. Jurgensen. He was a pastor and church planner in Durango, Colorado. And in a few minutes, you're going to see a bit of his story and some of the ob- obstacles that came into his life that nearly took him out and how he was able to navigate through those. But D.J. had a guy in his church that had a considerably bigger vision for his life than my hike from Crested Butte to Aspen. He had a dream and a lifelong goal of hiking the Colorado Trail. And in his 60s, he realized the window was closing. He better get serious about it, so he began to make plans. He was a physician, and uh, cleared his schedule and began to train and accomplish that goal. The Colorado Trail starts outside of Denver and finishes in Durango, Colorado. 486-mile hike. 89,000 feet of vertical gain. (laughs) I mean, it's unreal. And he did it in 36 days. And as he reflected back on that journey, he said there was many things and many times he wanted to quit and give it up and stop. But there was three primary things that got in his way, that uh, consistently got in his way and caused him to get off track and be ready to quit. One was weather, things he couldn't control. Uh, There was, I believe, a seven, eight, nine-day stretch where he never saw the sun. And you can imagine kind of that impact on it on him. There was half those days were some kind of moisture, rain, sleet, snow, and several days where he'd wake up in the rain, hike all day in the rain, 
get in his tent in a rain. And uh, figuring out how to keep dry and warm and get the motivation to do it again the next day and take that next step. Second thing was loneliness, that he didn't anticipate this, but through those times, the loneliness got so intense that it just about took him out. The only conversation he had was a few times where he'd meet up with his wife and she'd, you know, give him the, give him the stuff he needed, the resources for the next leg of his hike. But those were the only conversations he had. And he said, nearly this intense loneliness about took me out. The third thing was weight. This guy was meticulous about the weight he would carry in his pack because he knew if I took more than the essentials, if I took too much weight in this pack, the cumulative effect of that over those 486 miles would take him out. And so he was meticulous to the ounce, to the fraction of an ounce. One thing he did was cut off half of his toothbrush handle. And he talked about that because he knew any fraction of an ounce, anything that wasn't absolutely essential on that track would eventually take him out. So weight mattered. The prophet Elijah could relate to this story. Things outside of his control were beginning to pile up toward the end of his life. And the resulting fear and fatigue and disappointment nearly took him out. Loneliness and the excess weight he was carrying of emotional and spiritual baggage as it came through this, this tough life that he had been living nearly took him out. And when we pick up the story here in 1 Kings 19, Elijah finds himself under a lone tree in the desert and he's asking God to take his life. He's done. So quick, quick summary of the prophet Elijah before we dig into the passage in the text. Elijah was, came at a time when Israel was moving through a dark time. The people of Israel and the leaders of Israel were turning away from God, turning their backs on him, and moving toward false gods and idol worship, specifically the god Baal. And the leaders of the day, the king and the queen, were fiercely committed to this idol worship, and they were leading the people astray. And so God rose up the prophets and specifically Elijah to be his truth teller, to warn the people and the leaders of the day that there would be consequences for this. So God sends Elijah to King Ahad and tells him, you're leading the people astray. They're going down a dark path. There will be consequences. But King Ahad's heart hardens. And what follows is a three and a half year drought. And we see Elijah at a moment in, the, in 1 Kings, pleading with God on behalf of the people, saying, I don't know how long the people can take it. And so God sends Elijah back to King Ahab for another shot and to confront the false prophets, the false teachers of the day, those that were committed to the idol of all. And so he goes and uh, gives uh, King Ahab another shot and puts the false prophets of the day to the test. Lots of things happen, but what ends up ultimately happening is Elijah kills those prophets and uh, wipes them out, basically, himself. And when King Ahad goes to his wife Jezebel and tells him what Elijah has done, Jezebel sends a message to Elijah. By the way, just like you killed my prophets over here, by tomorrow night you're dead. And so when we enter this story in 1 Kings 19, Elijah has come to fear and he's running for his life. So if you want to turn with me and follow this with me, it's 1 Kings 19, and uh, we'll walk through this story. 1 Kings 19, we'll start right at the beginning. 
Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with his sword. And Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more so, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Translation, you're dead tomorrow night. (laughs) FYI. Verse 3, And he was afraid and rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there and then alone by himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a lone broom tree. And he asked for himself to die. And he said, Enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Elijah alone, discouraged. Discouraged is not a strong enough word, despairing. He's done. You don't get a sense in this passage that he's mad at God. He more dis- seems more disappointed in myself. I just couldn't get this done. And so he's ready to give up. He's at the end of his rope. Verse 5, Then he lay down and fell asleep under a broom tree. But behold, there was an angel touching him and said, Arise, eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a round loaf of bread baked on hot coals and a pitcher of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. But the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because this journey ahead of you is long. So he arose, ate, and drank, and journeyed on the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he came there to a cave and spent the night there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? I mean, this is a really, really cool moment in the story. So Elijah has hit the wall. He's asked God to take his life. The obstacles and the culture is too great has turned against God for him. He doesn't see a way through it. He's ready to give up. God meets him in a place and gives him exactly what he needs. Food, rest, drink and a chance to be honest, right? And it wasn't just food. It didn't like throw a piece of bread and a glass of water at him, right? It's a really cool picture that God gives him in the moment of this desperate time. He gives him a rounded loaf of bread baked on hot coals and a pitcher of water, abundance. He gives him everything he needs to get strong. And so, and then he gives him a chance to be honest, right? And he asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah takes him up on it. Right in verse 10, it says, And he said, I have been zealous for you, Lord. Another translation says, I've worked my heart out for you, God. And the sons of Israel have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And they sought to take my life as well. So this is the critical moment in the story. This is the critical moment in Elijah's journey as a prophet. What does God do in this moment? Elijah's poured out his heart. I've worked my heart out for you, God, but it seems to be no avail. I'm ready to give up. They've killed everybody. I'm the only one left. What's God asked him to do in this moment? Turn and get back to work? Or does he say something very different? Verse 11. So he said, to Elijah, go and stand on the mountain at attention before the Lord, and behold, the Lord will pass by. And a great and powerful wind was tearing out the mountains and breaking the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. 
And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a sound of a gentle, quiet blowing. (laughs) Another translation says, after the fire came a gentle, quiet whisper. God showed up. May have taken a while, but God showed up. When Elijah heard this whisper, this gentle blowing, he wrapped his face in a cloak and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? The story starts to turn. He re-asks the question. And Elijah answers again. But get the context of this story now. Elijah's in a different place, right? And so when he answers this, the tone of his answer, I think, feels very different. I've been zealous for you, Lord, the God of angel armies. We're on verse 14. For the sons of Israel have abandoned your covenants, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I am the only one left, and now they seek my life to take it away. And you get the sense and a pause. They seek my life to take it away, so what do I need to do? Mm. Elijah's now in a different place. He's rested. He's well-fed. He's had a drink. He's had a thin place moment on the mountain with God. God showed up. He's got the confidence to know that God's still with him and still speaking with him. Elijah's in a different place. He seems ready. And now, in this context, God gives him the mission that will be the rest of his leadership life and journey. In verse 15, the Lord said to Elijah, go back, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you've arrived, you shall anoint Hazel, king of Aram, and you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimish, king over Israel. So this is no small thing, right? I mean, he's anointing a new king, you know. So he's going in and, and ready to roll with that. And then, sorry, I lost my place. And you shall anoint Elisa, the son of Shaphite, as prophet in your place. He's given him his marching orders. Elijah's ready. And then he gives Elijah this great gift in verse 18. We skip down to that. It's amazing. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, and all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him will be there. What's he told Elijah in this moment? He's met the need of loneliness. You're not alone. You're not the only one. There's 7,000 more that are not giving in and and worshiping this false god. You're not alone. And in this time we live, and in this culture, don't we often feel like, man, is there anyone else out there? I mean, that's, that's kind of standing in the gap. God reassures Elijah in this moment, you're not alone. There's others. You're not doing this just for yourself. You're doing this because I've asked you to do it. You're doing it for them too. You're not alone. Powerful moment in the story. So a couple observations from this. One, God meets Elijah right where he's at, right in that place of need at the first part of 1 Kings 19, right? And what's the message? Is it, my gosh, Elijah, you're my chosen prophet. Get up. Get back at it. Go. Keep going. Don't you have enough faith? That's what we're told a lot. You know, is that what God did? Not what he did. I mean, he entered right into Elijah's story, right where he's at, and gave him abundant food and abundant drink, told him to get healthy, 
abundant rest, because we know he goes back to sleep again and again, enough that he has strength built up for a 40-day move to the mountain. And then God invites Elijah to solitude on the top of the mountain and says, wait, give attention to God, because God is going to pass by, but you need to wait for it. Uh, Look at verse 11 again. I'm going to read this in a different translation. Verse 11 says, then Elijah was told, go stand on the mountain at attention before God, and God will pass by. A hurricane ripped through the mountain and shattered rocks, but God was not in the wind. The wind, after the wind, an earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but God was not in the fire. And after the fire came that gentle, quiet whisper. When I read that again, I wonder how long that took. You know, when we read the Bible, often we read it so fast and and in that moment, kind of think, okay, a hurricane wind ripped through, then an earthquake, fire came, and then God showed up. Happened in 10 minutes or something, right? Not likely. I mean, I don't have a context and know this, but likely this was a long time on the mountain where he stood at attention and waited for God that these things happen. We know there's history on this mountain. I mean, God took leaders there. Know of one leader that waited 40 days, you know, on that mountain for God to to show up and, and, and move. We know this history. This likely took quite a while, you know, that, that, but that's a key part of the story that God calls into the mountain and he has this thin place encounter and asks him to wait and stand at attention because God, he will pass by. Now we see a man with a renewed strength. Now we see this prophet who has a renewed commitment and passion to his calling. Now we see a man that's reconnected with the steely resolve that is such a characteristic of the prophet Elijah. We know this because Elijah went toe-to-toe with the king. And, and Elijah faced those false prophets of the day and killed over a hundred of them by himself. He had a steel resolve and a courage unmatched. And he's now reconnected with that. He has a recommitment to take the next step God has told him to take even to the point of replacing himself and finish this thing well. And, and this is a really cool and, and great moment in this story. I told you about uh, when I started D.J. Jurgensen, this pastor, uh, church planner in Durango, Colorado. When D.J. came into one of our leadership events, so compelling. And if I lived in the Durango area, this is where I'm going to church. This is a guy I would follow, no doubt. I mean, just, just a great young man and, and with a passionate, contagious vision. But I knew when he came in that he was on an unsustainable pace. And I know without a shadow of a doubt these years later that he would not be a pastor today if he had not made some adjustments to his life and learned a different kind of way to do leadership and rhythm to make himself healthy and to go forward. That's made him much more in a position to keep pursuing God and keep leading others. And I wanted to give you a glimpse into this story because it's such a great fit here. And, and so let's take a look at this video. So I'm here in Iceland six years after I started my rhythm journey. And I could not have imagined like how far and how much would happen in the last six years. Uh, Six years ago, my wife and I moved to Durango, Colorado to plant a church. We were ready to charge the hill and reach people for Jesus. We knew it was going to be hard, but what we didn't realize was just how hard it was going to be. 
There was this rigorous testing we went through that actually uncovered that down deep, I was gonna really thrive at the newness of church planning, but really struggle with the endurance of church planning. And they actually told me, unless some things change, uh, you're gonna really struggle to deal with all of the tension and pressure of ministry. The way I lived life was, I would literally pour out the entire cup, whatever was in it. I would pour it out until there was nothing, and then I would crash. And then I would wait, and it would slowly recharge, and then I would pour it out again. I realize now I was literally stepping into um, a, a life that I couldn't sustain. At the same time, we found out about Rhythm in 20, and a friend and I decided to jump in. So within a month of going to Colorado to plant the church, here we are at Rhythm in 20, just like learning how to have space balance and uh, endure a call, and yet at the same time, how to be radical in the way that we pursue what God has called us to do. You're with 20 other guys who are all saying, we want the same thing. You know, we wanna make a difference, but we, we realize it happens with this long, steady, persistent, rooted, like, intensity. And that's what I was longing for, going to rhythm. That's what I've just been longing for in my life. Through the rhythm journey, uh, Tim and the crew like literally taught me how to have space. I think what's happened more than anything has been a course correction in terms of how I see myself and how I pursue the meaning and purpose and beauty of God. It has like birthed a lot of the backbone that I've needed to be able to sustain and to continue to sustain where God has me. It is so hard to sustain that. Anybody can do it for a weekend. Anybody can do it for a month, you know? But to do that for a year and then let a year turn into a decade and then a decade to turn into generation. You know, we need so much more than just passion. Going through the rhythm journey taught me how to bring in this other piece of finding space and connecting with God to the point that I really believe now that I can sustain the calling that God has for me. Yeah, so good, right? Um, and life and leadership and business and ministry and whatever your vocation or world has gotten exponentially more difficult in the last three years since we made that video. Really glad that he entered in and made some of the course adjustments he needed to make because of the kind of impact he's having now in Southern Colorado is difference making. Um, the world, you know, today in these last few years has been shaken. And as I'm out there speaking and meeting people that have uh, been through different areas of the country, that have been through some of our leadership journeys, it's like my sense is the world has been shaken. And it's not coming back. It's different. You know, the thing about after a severe shaking, like a real severe earthquake, the landscape doesn't return. It changes. People that have been through that kind of thing, they're different. They change. And we need something solid and steady to help us navigate these turbulent times. So I got a few suggestions for you this morning in this regard that will help us kind of navigate the days in front of us during these really, really uncertain hard times we find ourselves, this moment in history we find ourselves. One is, we have to remember, we've got to remember the times God showed up in our story. 
we can't forget those thin place moments, those moments when heaven and earth collided and God decided to show up just for a moment to give us a glimpse of heaven and keep us encouraged to keep taking that step. I guarantee you Elijah didn't forget that moment on the mountain when the earthquakes rolled through and the, and the wind and the fire and then God showed up in this gentle, quiet whisper telling him that I've got to quiet down if I'm really going to hear God in the midst of the chaos of which we live. Um, you've got to remember those moments. And I'll give, give you a chance here in a minute to do just that. Back in April, I was in San Diego uh, getting ready for two different leadership events we had. And I wasn't Elijah tired, but I was tired, uh, pretty weary. And uh, I went in a day early to kind of get my head on right because we had several guys, a lot of guys coming in from around the country into there with a lot of expectation and hope for that time. And I was worn out. Um, and I remember sitting by the ocean in kind of this numb state like for quite a long time, just like, I don't think I got anything left in the tank to give here. This was the 27th and 28th group that had come to San Diego for Harbor Ministries. Uh, that was on top of about 50 events we've done in Colorado with different groups. And I just wasn't sure I had the passion, you know, that was needed and deserved for these guys. I just didn't have much in the tank. And as I sat, there was a really clear, beautiful day, and there was any mist on the ocean, and you could see the waves lining up, ready to come in, you know, the shore there. There was this beautiful rhythm to it. And as I kept watching this, this thought kind of came to mind, just keep coming. Just keep taking the next step. Um, I'll be with you. You know, just keep coming. And, and in the midst of that, I felt directed uh, to Isaiah, this passage in Isaiah 58 that I'd read the week before somewhere, I don't remember where, but felt directed. And, and it, it was just like, talk about God speaking to the moment. Um, Isaiah 58:10 says, "Help those in trouble, and your light and the light will shine out of the darkness. The Lord will guide you continually and give you water when you're dry, and restore your strength. You'll be like a well-watered garden, an ever-flowing stream." And in that moment, I tell you, it wasn't like I popped up and like, "Let's go, I'm already, you know, 100%." No, but there was this kind of slow-building strength that happened. When we began to come back in the sails and really had a strong sense, God was in this moment. And I would tell you, the next eight days, we're all in with all these guys, and every day I felt just a little bit stronger, not more depleted. Uh, that thin place moment on that ocean changed things, and I'm not going to forget it. Going forward, as long as God calls me into this moment, I can't forget that moment. Uh, sometimes it's a lot more simple. Last week, got a a uh, text from a guy out in Denver of a double, real brilliant double rainbow. And he sent it to me and he said, do you remember that double rainbow we had on the last morning of row where we were all standing on a deck just like mesmerized by it? He said, God just used this rainbow to remind me of it. Uh, could be that simple, right? Uh, but not that simple because this guy was driving to work. He had to pull his car off in Denver, take a picture of the rainbow, and he attended to the moment that God was giving him, changed it. It changed everything. So the second thing, we got to keep our loads light. I mean, we got to keep our loads light. Life's too short. I mean, we're all feeling such emotion these days. And, and anger, I mean, I don't even know where the anger comes from I'm feeling, but it just rises up, right? And that's a common theme I hear from everybody. You just kind of were wrestling with that kind of emotion and anger and maybe some unforgiveness, the things that divide us, the narratives that have been put in front of us to keep us separated and divided. Life's too short to carry that stuff on. There's no way we're going to finish this well if we don't figure out how to let some of this go. 
how to release some of that and keep only the essentials in the pack that we're carrying going forward. The times demand something different from us. If we're going to be kind of the difference makers and, and not only do this well and survive through this time, but thrive in it. And we've got to keep our lows light. And I wonder this morning if something's coming to your mind in regards to that that you just maybe need to let go. Nothing magic, no magic way to do this for me. It's uh, every morning, you know, on the porch when I'm at home, I just kind of ask God that question, is there anything I need to release today and uh, that you need to take because I can't carry this. I don't know how to do this well to release this. So we can't talk about these two things without giving you a chance to practice it this morning. So if we were in one of our Harbor Ministry leadership journeys out in Colorado, I'd be giving you three hours to work on this. Right, Randy? <laughs> but, but this morning, I'm giving you three minutes. All right? And when you came in, you got a handout uh, that has remember on it. Hopefully, you have something to write with. And uh, we're going to give you a few minutes to spend on these two things I just talked about. It's going to be quick, uh, but I would love you to think about and remember a time, maybe recently, that God just showed up, that made himself real to you. Uh, might be something really simple, might be something more significant, I don't know. Uh, but what comes to mind and write it down. Don't forget, because that's the stuff that's going to give you fuel in the days ahead. Don't forget. And then don't have near enough time to work through this light and load idea, but I would encourage you to say, what was the first thing that came to mind? And I bet there's a bunch of you in this room that something came right to mind when I said that. Is there something you just need to let go of? Give to God, let him take it for this next stage. And whatever that thing was that just popped in your mind, write that down. You can think about this and process it and test it more later in terms of but maybe the first thing that came to mind. We're just going to give you three minutes to do this, and then I'll be back with you to finish up. I'd encourage you to take that card with you because I think those two things are really important. I mean, really important questions for you in in shoring up and strengthening up for the journey ahead of us in this next stretch, this next season we have in life and as well as in this country. The third thing I would mention to you is to do is, is practice this idea of space, this time to go to the mountain and attend and listen to God and wait for him to show up. That's in Harbor Ministry, we call that, that idea space. And when guys come in to one of our leadership journeys, we actually challenge them to consider taking a full day of space, of quiet, of solitude, of disconnecting from the noise in the world around us, taking some scripture in, and then just really listening and waiting on God and see what he has and try doing that a day a month. And uh, if you've been to church here for a long time and you've heard me speak before, you know I've, I've talked about this. This is a passionate area of mine. And, and I think it's difference-making practice. Those that do what we challenge them to do going forward, they're the difference-makers. That separates them. That's what brings a weightiness to life that others gravitate toward and, and want to do something different. And we've got that in front of us. I would encourage you to think about what would an hour a week look like for the rest of this year? of where you're just kind of disconnecting from the noise, turning off the phone, separating, and really seeking God in a minute, hour a week. 
Uh, is that possible? I mean, and uh, only four months plus left in 2022. Life goes so fast. Is there a way to slow it down a little bit and just take an hour a week to really seek God? We've got a tool that I want to give you this morning to help with this. Um, we wrote and, and produced this real simple tool earlier this year and gave it to all the leaders that have been through one of our Rhythm and 20 Rogue Rebel events and sent that to them all around the country. But we produced a bunch of these this morning and want to give you one. Um, and it's real simple. Just some verses in there. Hebrews 12, the passage I references in here. Uh, some questions about it and then some open pages to journal some notes. We've got a booth set up out in the communication center here on the main level. Go out there and, and uh, they'll give you one of these. And there, as well, there's some information uh, Harbor Ministries, if you want to check out more of what we're doing and, and what we're about as an organization. But we'd love to give you these. Grab one on your way out. If you want to grab one for somebody else as well, that'd be great. Uh, I think you'll find it really helpful. And I would just ask you to really commit to this idea of getting to the mountain, so to speak, in your own backyard, taking an hour, disconnecting, listen to what God may have for you in the moment. Before I close, uh, just a couple of moments of personal reflection here on my time here at Lincoln Brian. Uh, when I started here over 16 years ago as pastor, I, I was the director of Youth for Christ, left Youth for Christ, came in uh, to this role as pastor. And I remember talking to Brian Clark and in the midst of that and kind of sharing this little dream I had of coming alongside pastors and strategic leaders around the country. I had no idea what it would look like. But one of the things I'll always be thankful for here is the leadership then and the leadership now that had a big vision for what Lincoln Marine could be. And I wasn't afraid of this dream. And as a result, you know, we've had 700 plus leaders in 44 states come through one of our leadership events over the last decade. I mean, it's been an amazing run. And, and uh, that's something I'll always be thankful for in this place. Soon I'm going to be transitioning from being a pastor here to fully focused on uh, Harbor Ministry, and, but uh, this has been a pure privilege to be in this role and to be with you in this way, and this is a relationship that will continue. It's a be a strategic partnership going forward, but, but it's time to focus differently, but in many ways, this has been a fulfillment of a lifelong calling. I remember uh, when I was on a back pew in a little church in Methodist Church in central Nebraska when I was little. And the pastor kind of heading back toward me and said, you know, you're going to be a, I think you're going to be a pastor someday. <laughs> and kind of planted that seed all the way back then. And uh, Reverend Quaife up there, cheerleading heaven now, said these last years have been a great, great run in this capacity. It's been an absolute privilege to be in this role with you and come alongside many of you and want to continue to do that. Um, as I close today... I wanted to leave you with these words out of Psalms 46, because it's way better words than I could ever put together. Uh, this is a really important psalm for the days we live. In this time of such uncertainty, nations in conflict, likely soon to be more nations in conflict, right? a world, again, that's been shaken. And uh, we need to know that there's something solid that we can hang on to. We need the truths of these words. I guarantee you Elijah would attach to the words of Psalm 46 and in that story, and we need it today. And I just feel like these are words that can encourage you and me today. So instead of following along with this, just let me read this to you. It's kind of a closing moment, closing prayer uh, with you in this season, in this stretch of the journey we have together, uh, because I just think these are 
critical words for the days we live. God, he's our refuge and our strength. Always ready to help in time of trouble. When our backs are against the wall, when we're under that lone tree in the desert, wondering if we can go on, take the next step, no matter what we happen to be facing, he's there. Our help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when the earthquakes come and the mountains crumble to the sea. Let the oceans roar with foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. A river brings joy to the city of God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos, but their kingdoms will crumble. God's voice thunders, and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's army is here among us, the God of Israel. He is our fortress. Hear that again. God's voice thunders, and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's army is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he will bring destruction on the world. He can cause wars to end throughout the earth. He can break the bow. He can snap the spear. He burns shields with fire. He's in control. He's got this. No matter what plays out, he's got this. So be still. Be still. And know that I'm God. I will be honored in every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is right here among us. He's right here. Believe that? The God of Israel is our fortress. So interesting in the midst of this psalm comes one of the most famous verses in the Bible. In the midst of the chaos, be still and know that I'm God. So God, that's what we pray this morning. Because we know in the stillness, that's where we can remember. In the stillness, that's where the words can come, that the load that we need to lighten so that we can not just survive but thrive during these times. In the stillness comes strength. In the stillness comes this reminder that you will be honored throughout the world. And in the stillness, we're reminded that you're right here among us. The God of Israel, you are our fortress. Amen.